Are we on here? Good morning. Um, <clears throat> do we have any recovering economics majors here this morning? Any econ majors? Do we have any agronomists here this morning? Do we have any real estate agents here this morning? Well, if we had, they would be especially excited about our text. But I think the rest of you will find this interesting as well. Today, we are in Leviticus chapter 25, and we're going to talk all about the Jubilee. Now, Leviticus 25 is the portion of our uh, text this morning, Parshat Behar, uh, and uh, this is the second to last Torah portion in the book of Leviticus. And I don't know about you, I feel like we just started Leviticus. <laughs> it's going to be so sad to leave it behind. But uh, so we must, uh, for those of you who are new, we are going through the uh, first five books of Moses this year, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and uh, our neighbors in the synagogues around here, of which there are many, go through the five books every year. And so uh, we're basically following their calendar, what they were studying on Friday night and Saturday morning, we are studying here on Sunday morning. And so this week's portion is at Parshat Bihar, it's about the Jubilee, but before we get to the Jubilee, we learn a little bit about the Sabbath year, Yahweh said to Moses on Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you the land itself must observe a Sabbath to Yahweh for six years. sow your fields and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to Yahweh. Don't sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Don't reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces, it may be eaten. Now, Mount Sinai, right? Heart, in fact, Bahar is the, means on the mountain. God speaks to Moses on the mountain. Where's Mount Sinai? Anybody remember? The desert. Very good. Uh, as a reminder of where we're, where we're at here, uh, this up here is the land that God is leading his people to. Are they there yet? Not there yet, right? They have classic question on the trip. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. God's people still have to get there. Right now, they are somewhere around like here, maybe. Maybe they're here. Uh, this is Mount Sinai, by the way. This is Egypt. I, I always forget. I should do that in, in blue because this is the Nile. This is Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula. This is the Arabian Peninsula. And this is the land that God's going to lead his people to. His people have been let out. This was the Red Sea, somewhere around there. They've been wandering around. They're here on Mount Sinai, probably maybe somewhere around there. The point is this is the desert. This area here is the desert. What do you do in the desert? You wander. Do you cultivate crops in the desert? No, that's good. <laughs> Glad everybody's paying attention. See, we're not that far from an agricultural society. We know that. No, you don't cultivate crops in the desert. Right now, the people are learning about what they might do. What did they do when they were in Egypt? Other than making bricks without straw, they probably were involved in cultivating some crops. They might have had some experience with it. But now they're being led into a place where they will also be cultivating crops. But at this moment, they are not doing any of that. They are in the desert getting the law from God. Right? Genesis we have the whole opening story. Eventually, we get God's people down here into Egypt. Exodus, God brings them out. 
gives him instructions about how to worship him, as well as uh, uh, some specific instructions on building the means by which he's going to be worshipped. Earlier in Leviticus, we had the laws about the way that uh, God's people would bring the necessary sacrifices. We have the institution of the priesthood. We have a whole bunch of various laws. And now we're going to talk some about real estate. So God's people are here getting the law. And they're told, when you enter the land, you're not here yet, but eventually God says, I'm going to lead you up here to enter the land. You are going to observe a crop rotation system where you are going to, in years one, two, three, four, and five, and six, do what? Plant your crops. You're going to plant your crops. You're going to harvest them. You're going to weed them. You're going to do all the things you do when you try to grow stuff. In year seven, are you going to do these things? No, this is going to be a year of Sabbath rest for the Lord. The seventh year, you are to let your crops lie fallow. Now, does that mean you're not allowed to go out in the field? No. What can you do out in the field? I don't think you actually harvest any volunteers because they don't grow. Ah, I see. Yes. Yes, you harvest the things that grow up naturally. Many of those things are going to do that, right? Uh, you're going to harvest those things, and, and you have the freedom to do that. Incidentally, not just on your land. Everybody's free to do that anywhere. Right uh, during the year, normally you're called to leave the corners of your field unharvested. Right to do what? Anybody remember why? For the gleaners, so the, so poor people can come by and they can glean from the corners of your field. They, you're supposed to leave that alone so that the poor can come through your field and, and take food to sustain themselves. In a sense, everybody's in that position because you are not supposed to be harvesting. You're not deliberately uh, doing the work of agriculture, but whatever comes up naturally, you can eat. Of course, you can eat anything that you have stored up, right, during this Sabbath year. And in fact, God is going to provide so abundantly during the sixth year that you will be just fine in the seventh year. So, Here's the next thing you do. You think that was fun. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. So we count seven of these. And I'll just assume we've counted these. One, two, three, four, five, six, and then seven. Having counted off seven sets of seven Sabbath years, have the trumpet sounded everywhere. On the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet through the land. Consecrate the fiftieth year. So there's a little bit of ambiguity there in the text. Maybe we're talking about this extra super special year. That would be like the eighth year. Maybe that fiftieth year is kind of this one counted twice. Not entirely sure. But the point is you're going to call this uh, this one special extra year is going to be called a jubilee year. And I shall give this a J. The Jubilee year is uh, the year which, uh, when you will not also not sow or reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. It's to be holy for you. Eat only what's taken directly from the fields. And in this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. You sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them. Don't take advantage of each other. You're to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. Well, why would this be important? Well, as we're going to see, when the people are led into the land, God is giving them real estate. 
right? And if you read further on in the book of, of Joshua, if you're into this sort of thing, you can actually see where, which parts of the land God actually gives to which of the tribes. And then within those tribes, then certain clans, certain families would have had land that was identified as their family's land, their family's homeland. You had, your family had a piece of real estate there in the land. That was your land that you were given by God. Now, God's very clear, this is really his land, but you are the family that's called to steward it. This is your land, and here's the deal. Every 50 years, you go back to your land. And you don't just go back for a visit. You don't just go back for a family reunion. You go back to take possession of that land. Every 50 years, or 49, depending on how you understand that, that land reverts back to you. Whatever has happened with that land in the previous time, that land reverts back to you. So, if, let's say, you were to sell that land to somebody, really you're not selling it. You're leasing it. Because once Jubilee year comes, you get the land back, right? So you're going to get a different price if you lease that land out somewhere like in year five of the 50-year cycle than you would if you were in the last year right before the Jubilee. Right? You're to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee, and they're to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. When the years are few, you are to decrease the price because what's really being sold is the number of crops. Don't take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am Yahweh, your God. And it's interesting, that command not to take advantage of each other. To whom is that directed? Yes, it's directed to people. Thank you, Chris. To, to which people is that command directed? No, that's not directed to the wealthy. Because if you're wealthy, you don't need to sell your land, right? Usually, like the wealthy people are the ones buying the land. If you're selling your land, I mean, land is, land is a capital asset, right? Sorry, apologies to anybody who never took econ, but land is a capital asset. Land is something that you use in order to make more stuff, right? You're able to use that land to, to get crops, right? Um, if you don't have land you can't get any more crops, can you? So if you were in a really hard spot, you might have to, and all you had left was your land, you might have to sell that to somebody, right? Right? And God says, you shall not take advantage of your fellow Israelite. You must calculate the value based on how many years are left to the Jubilee. And that's a command directed not at the rich, but at the poor. Instantly, we've seen this a number of times in Torah, haven't we? The idea of, of, of uh, justice and economic dealings, of, of dealing honorably, as being a, a command that is, is given to the poor as well as to the rich. Don't take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am Yahweh your God. So follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you'll live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you'll eat your fill and live there in safety. Now you may ask, naturally you would, what are we going to eat in the seventh year if we don't plant or harvest our crops? Well, I'm going to send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. And while you plant during the eighth year, you'll eat from the old crop and you'll continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. If you have a hard time with the math on that, I do too. Just think about it later. The land must not be sold permanently. Why? God says because the land is actually mine. 
In fact, you're residing in my land, <laughs> right? So I'm giving you this land, but, you know, I'm, I'm letting you live on my land. You're, you, you know, you want to talk about foreigners and strangers? Guess what? Even in your land, you're foreigners and strangers because really this is my turf. You're living there as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you have to provide for the redemption of the land. So you are really stewards, God says, of my land. The stuff I'm giving, I'm giving you valuable stuff. I'm giving you land, right? This is a, a, an asset that can produce more assets. But it's really mine. You're stewarding it. And I want you to make sure that while you're here, you can provide for the redemption of the land. I.e., you can make sure this land is being taken care of and kept within the family. So, if any of you becomes poor and has to sell some of his property, which is going to happen, then the nearest relative is to come and redeem what they've sold. Again, trying to keep this within the family. But if no one is there to redeem it for them, later on, though, they prosper. They acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves. Then they basically figure out the value for the years uh, that they, uh, uh, for the years they, since they sold it, refund the balance to the one to whom they sold it, and then they can go back to their property. So there's a pr- the, the principle here is if, if, if this land is set in your family and you have to sell it to somebody, presumably you're selling it to another Israelite, and they, they're living under the same law, they recognize you have the right to redeem this land. If nobody in your family can redeem it for you, you have the right to go back and buy back the land based on the fair value. So if they can't acquire the means to repay it, then what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer forever, right? No, not forever. It's going to remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. And then it all goes back. Now, there are some rules about houses in walled cities. That's a little different. You can actually sell a house and have it sold permanently in a walled city. And, uh, but, but when we're dealing with these agricultural lands, then they're sold. Only until the Jubilee. Really, they're rented out. Now, moving on to 35, if any of your own people become poor and they're unable to support themselves among you, then what are you supposed to do with them? Are you supposed to take advantage of them? No. You help them. Really, I mean, you you should help anybody. You should help a foreigner or a stranger. You certainly should help your own people. In fact, if you're helping your own people, you have to lend to them at no interest. You take no interest. You take no profit. But you fear your God so that your poor neighbors may continue to live among you. So let's just, you know, just to, to make sure we kind of personalize this and, and have some sense of it. Let's take, um, let's take Phil. All right, here's a Jewish guy, Hebrew guy named Phil. Phil's a little hefty. There's Phil. There's Phil's belt. All right, so there's Phil. Phil has some land. Phil has had some difficulties. Maybe Phil had <clears throat> a disease come in and take his crops. Maybe marauding bands came through and stole his stuff. Maybe Phil blew his knee out and couldn't work for a while. Maybe Phil was lazy, didn't get the work done he needed to get done. Either way, Phil's in a situation where he's out of money. He has got to sell his land, right? Phil sells his land to Dave. Dave's a little shorter, also hefty. Phil sells his land to Dave. Right? So Dave now, let's say the land's like right here. Okay, Dave now owns the land. Right? And let's say Phil's going to work the land. Right? Dave's going to get a cut of it. Phil's going to work it. Everything ought to work out. Well, here's the problem. Things are still not going well for Phil. And so <clears throat> what's happened is uh, Phil 
doesn't have enough money to uh, take care of, the, uh, of, of uh, buying seed and buying tools so he can do the planting. So what's Dave supposed to do? Or anybody else? Maybe Dave is sick of lending money to Phil. Maybe he can't afford to lend, lend money to Phil. Maybe he owns stuff. So then you've got some other dude. Here's Steve. Steve's going to give Phil some money for seed and for agricultural implements, which look like something. I don't know. <laughs> no, a farmer, indeed I'm not. Right? So these guys are, are, are trying to help Phil out. Right? So how do things go? Well, <clears throat> so they didn't, and, and, and Steve lends them the money at no interest. No interest loan. And why? Because, look, I'm Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So don't go taking a possessive attitude toward your possessions, because the fact is, I'm the only reason you got any of this stuff in the first place, right? If you remember when you left Egypt, you had been slaves. You had what? Nothing, right? The only reason you got stuff when you left Egypt is because I put the fear of me into the Egyptians, and they gave you all their loot on, on the way out. And, and now I'm going to let you into this land, and you're going you're gonna to get this land because I'm driving out the people who were there before you. So you're going to only get this because of me. So don't go thinking that this is really your stuff. It's really mine. Keep this in mind. Now, if any of your people become poor and sell themselves to you, don't make them work as slaves. Let's say things are continuing to not go well at all for Phil. Phil is having a very, very tough time. Phil finds himself basically having to sell himself into indentured servitude. To Maurice. Maurice is now Phil's boss. But more than his boss. I mean, really, this is, you know, slavery of, of a different sort. This is indentured servitude. Basically, Phil, the only Phil has left to sell is in his own labor, and he is placing himself under Maurice's employ. Maurice has to take care of Phil, right? Phil can do nothing. Unless Maurice says he can do it, Phil has to do everything Maurice says because Phil's Maurice's slave. But God says, listen, Maurice, if Phil becomes poor and sells himself to you, don't make Phil work like a slave. Phil is to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident among you. And he's to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Because when the Jubilee comes, Phil and his kids, assuming he had them when he went in, are to be released and go back to his own clans under the property of his ancestors. So Phil only has to work for Maurice up until the year of Jubilee, right? In fact, in, in another passage we'll look at later, there's actually in, 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 uh, uh, in the seventh year, there's a sense in which uh, there's a remission as well. But let's say we're looking at that last week. Because, again, because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, by the way, they must not be sold as slaves. Don't rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. So Maurice is not free to sell Phil to anybody else, Dave, Steve, or Helen. Phil is Maurice's responsibility until the year of Jubilee. Now, you can have male and female slaves from the nations around you, uh, and uh, you can bequeath them to your parents as inherited property, but not your fellow Israelites. And, okay, so let's say things have gone even worse. Maybe Maurice dies. And uh, Phil's fellow Israelites have absolutely no interest in dealing with Phil anymore. But along comes a Moabite named Juan. So Juan decides he is going to buy Phil. Phil is a foreigner 
or Juan is a foreigner and Phil is in his employ. Now, Juan understands that the rules are if you're in Israel, you can't treat your fellow Israel, treat the Israelites poorly. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's still the right of redemption after he sold himself. So if, if Phil's relative does come along and say, all right, Juan, Phil is my cousin and I'm going to redeem him, Juan has to, has to let him do that. And then again, of course, if, you know, let's say Phil gets an inheritance, maybe, you know, his, his uncle, uh, anybody, any ideas? Andrew. His uncle Andrew dies, leaves him a pile of money. He can redeem himself. But they're in their buyer. Again, the deal is you're really not selling anybody. You are simply renting because you're counting the year, counting the time up to the year of Jubilee. The price for the release is to be based on the rate paid to a higher worker for the number of years. If many years remain, they must pay for their redemption. A larger share of the price paid for them. If only a few years remain to the year of Jubilee, they're to complete that and pay for their redemption accordingly. They're to be treated as hired workers from year to year. You must see to it that those to whom they owe service do not rule over them ruthlessly. And even if they are not redeemed in any of these ways, even if none of Phil's relatives wants to come along and redeem him, nevertheless, he and his children are to be released in the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites belong to me as servants. Once again, in case we had missed this, God says, they are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I'm Yahweh, your God. Now, any, any impressions, just general impressions of this legislation in chapter 25? Yes, Louise. There is a leveling effect, yes. Yep. Chris? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that's a big piece of it. Yes. What's that? Yeah, you really don't get it born in the Jubilee year. That's that's a real drag. Yeah. Chris? Yeah, right, right. And that's, yeah, further to the multi-generational poverty thing is, is let's say, you know, Phil has a couple of kids and, and they're not a bunch of screw-ups like Phil is. Um, and again, maybe, maybe if, I mean, Phil, Phil could well be a screw-up. Can I get an amen? I mean, there are some people who really screw up. You know, you think about family dynamics, right? You think about people in your family that, like, keep wanting you to lend the money. I, I'm being very honest here. There are people in your, and you know what? They're basically always going to keep wanting you to lend them money. They're always going to, they're just, that's always the way they're going to be. Maybe they're, maybe they're stupid. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they just have bad habits. Maybe they're not very good at doing what they do. You know, there are some people like, some people really think that they should be doing a job that they really aren't very good at. Or, uh, are you coughing because of me? Or, yeah. So, <clears throat> But either way, Phil could have some, Phil's kids are not, are not uh, basically given a, a, a lifetime sentence of poverty because of Phil's situation, right? What, what else strikes you about this? You can actually be pretty harsh. You're, yeah, you've got a lot more latitude on how you treat your foreigners. Yes, this was, was in some ways a less enlightened time. Yes, Chris? You can own them, but here's, here's kind of the difference. When, 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 uh, when it says you shall not treat your fellow Israelite harshly, basically 
um, you have to give the best jobs that the slaves have to do to your fellow Israelite, right? So, you know, going out to fetch water when it's, you know, 100 degrees out is probably the job that you're going to give to the foreigner. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, pulling the weeds in the shaded garden, you know, might, might be the Israelites' kind of job. Yes, Chris? Marlene? It, it potentially is that complicated. I mean, you think you could, this could be, you know, decades going on where, where uh, there's, there are these various contracts. Um, so, yes, uh, it, it could be that, that uh, um, uh, it could be that David leaves the picture for some reason. It could be that Phil, you know, decides he doesn't really want to work for David anymore, and he's going to go somewhere else and become a hired laborer. Mm. Right. Because Juan, if he Juan knows if he if he lives in the land, if Juan now this none of this applies if Phil goes over to Juan's land and works for Juan, then Phil is you know under the, the Moabite rules. But if, if Juan the Moabite is going gonna, is gonna to have property there in, in Israel, and it's, you know, the idea is you're not really supposed to sell to other, to, to other nations, but it could just be that that happened anyway, um, then Juan knows if he's going to own land in Israel, then he's going to have to operate that according to, you know, much like if you, you know, if, if you uh, buy property in one county, you've got to follow that county's rules uh, if you want to cut down some trees or something. Yep. What else? Yes. Can I? Yeah, it probably would not, unless the unless the tradesmen. I mean, it, it wouldn't a different way. And the tradesmen and merchants, you're still going to have the the forgiving of debts every seven years, right? Um, so if you're if you're a, a tradesman, then you know you're entering into probably contracts to to borrow money to buy things and, and whatnot. So um, that the, the jubilee years is really primarily about about uh, restoration of real estate. But you know if you're if you're a tradesperson and you're not uh, an agriculturalist. Then you probably have long since sold your piece of the family property to, you know, somebody else in your family who's actually going to work it. Like I, my, uh, uh, you, you can pray for her. My my sister-in-law just lost her dog, and my sister-in-law wanted to make sure my wife knew that she had buried her dog on this piece of property that my wife's family owns. My wife has absolutely no interest at all in where she buried it. She has no interest in this property at all. She's not going back to Northumberland, Pennsylvania to put a house there or to plant any fields there. And at the appropriate time, she will sell her share of the property to one of her siblings so she doesn't have to worry about having that on the books anymore. But because she doesn't live there, she's not an agriculturalist. She's an oboist, right? So if you're a, a tradesperson or a merchant, you probably have done the same thing with your, your piece of the family property. Yep. Matthew. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to happen. And because of the laws of primogeniture, if you are the firstborn male, you actually get a double share. And that's that. That's part of part of the reason for that is to try to 
prevent that too much fragmenting of the, of the property. Yeah, Ricky. You're the firstborn and the lastborn male, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Wait till we get to the end of numbers. Seriously, because in the numbers we're going to we're going to no 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 this is good no that's exactly you the you you, you uh, the the daughters of Zelophehad are are going to enter to the picture and ask precisely that question and Moses is going to give them an answer so hang in there yes Marlene. Well, you get your land back every 50 years, not every seven years. Seven years is just the remission of debts. The Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, seven sevens. Yeah, it all, you know, sevens is, big, you know, kind of a big deal. Let, let me, let me uh, offer a few, a few uh, closing thoughts on this. Um, the first thing, and, and this just this struck me powerfully as I was reading this again. Last week we had Rabbi Bush here, Andy Bush from Baltimore Hebrew Congregation, was talking about how uh, basically the way the rabbis saw this, this was completely unworkable. In fact, there's good historical evidence that this never happened, that the Jubilee was never, ever instituted. In fact, there's some evidence that the idea of, of leaving the land fallow every seven years also not instituted. At the end of, of Second Chronicles, when God talks about the people being thrown out into exile, he, he says, finally, the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. Finally, the land enjoyed the rest that it was supposed to have all this time, and it never did. But uh, basically, what the rabbis worked out was a way to make sure you could obey the letter of this law while completely getting around it. Usually, that involved selling your property to a foreigner right before the Jubilee year, and then buying it back right after, right? The joke is about the rabbi who tells his congregation he quits smoking, and the next day someone sees him with a cigarette and says, hey, what are you doing? He says, it's all right, I sold my lungs to a Gentile. Um, it, you know, the idea is if, if you sell this property to a foreigner, you don't have to follow the laws. Manda- I mean, I'm serious, you go look it up. This is, what, this is basically what they did. In, in Israel, there are people who, you know, when, when the... Jubilee year is supposed to come around. They will sell their land to somebody else. It works, evidently. You're kind of, it, it, it doesn't say you absolutely can. It just kind of encourages you not to. Right? Yes, Chris? It, it didn't work out so well for them in the long run. This is another... Hang on a second. I'm getting there. My, uh, what, what I, I want to say about this, and again, I'm not an economist. I actually did very poorly in Econ 101. Uh, but it, this strikes me as something that is actually eminently workable. It's very practical, right? That, that, I mean, there, there are places where some of these rules seem to be in some tension with each other, but you kind of get the sense almost that, that case law has been developing about how you deal with this stuff. Um, the, 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 the clear uh, declaration that, look, you're... You're going to set lease rates based on how many years are left, right? You're going to sell but really give a long-term lease based on how many years until the Jubilee seems to me completely sensible. Right? It seems to me very fair. That way nobody's getting taken advantage of, right? And particularly, it, it, and, and again, this is not only are the rich not taking care of the poor, the poor aren't taking, uh, taking, care, or taking advantage of the wealthy either, right? This, this I, I think, could potentially work. But it didn't. 
how well did this work out? Well, it, it never, again, evidence is it didn't get implemented. Um, and if I can step back for a minute in terms of how we see Torah as a whole, how we see the law that God gives to his people, there's a sense in which God is responding to the person who says, well, if you'd only tell me exactly what to do and exactly how to live, then it would all be fine. I don't like this mystery. I don't have to like having to deal, on, deal with you on faith. If you just sort of lay it all out for me, then it would all be okay. And God could say, actually, I kind of did, 613 specific commandments. And how well did that work out? It kind of didn't, you know? I mean, there are, there are a number of places in the Bible where God basically is like Burger King. He's like, all right, have it your way. You want a king? Fine. It's not going to be good for you. No, no, we really want a king. It's not, no, no, not good for us. You re- we really want a king. Okay, you want extra mayonnaise and bacon on that? We'll do that. And, uh, and they experience the results of that. So there's a, there's a sense in which God meets us when we're at the, end, at the end of our rope, right? If that's the only place we're willing to meet him. So he allows us to get there. He graciously allows us to try to work stuff out on our own before we realize that's not going to, that's not going to make it. So, yes. So another thing that strikes me about this is that as, as reasonable and as realistic as it may have been, it didn't work. Didn't happen. And yes, what God said would happen a couple weeks ago, we looked at that passage in Leviticus where God says, look, if you guys are going to do the same things that the nation before you did, then the same thing's going to happen to you. The land vomited them out. It's going to vomit you guys out as well. Yeah, not, to give too much away, but that ultimately is what happened. But the other thing I think I need to point out about this is that this this idea of the year of Jubilee is often used by ethicists uh, of a certain stripe to argue for radical economic redistribution, to argue for radical leveling, to argue for the idea that God had set up in the very nature of his Torah and the way he was forming this ideal society, this utopia, this idea that every 50 years, everybody got reset, right? Everybody got back to zero. Everybody got their own land. Based on what we've talked about this morning, what are some problems with that idea? Louise. Well, for one thing, they're not going to want to give it up. But let's say theoretically they do anyway. Yeah. Right? Right? Yep. Why else could this be a problem? Potentially? Yeah, potentially. That could, that, I mean, these may be some of the reasons it wasn't even tried. Yeah. Look, that could be. You could just be really bad at farming. You get it back and you don't know what to do with it. Or you could be the, you know, the, the second brother. You get less land. I mean, if you just take land, your brother's twice as wealthy as you are if that's the only standard of wealth. But is that the only standard of wealth, Chris? Oh. Go ahead. Right. Although there was a lot of room, at least back then. There's, there's quite a lot of room for the number of people going in. What are, is land the only way you can have? I mean, it's a big way you can have wealth. Yeah, it, it, come Jubilee year, you have to give back whatever land that you've leased. What, do you have to give back any stored grain? Do you have to give back, back any flocks? Do you have to give back monetized commodities? 
like if you got gold, if you turned some of this profit into, into, into silver or gold? Do you have to give back debt that is owed by foreigners to you? Debt owned by Israelites, you have to clear. But if foreigners owe you debt, do you have to give that, give that back? So the day after the Jubilee is declared, if you were rich before the Jubilee, chances are you're still rich. Right? In fact, you probably, you know, you're, one of the reasons you probably got rich is you kind of know how to do some math. You realize, yeah, I'm going to have to give this land back. At, at some point. So you're probably still wealthy. If you were poor before the Jubilee, are you still poor? Maybe. You got land. At the very least, you got land. And, and even if you got nothing else but that land, you now have an asset that you can do something with. Right? Yes, Kristen. Well, yeah, that's another... Th- yeah. Well, well, presumably the, the value of the... Right? Presumably the value of the land would, would increase with improvements to the land. If you have ever gone on the Maryland State property website to spy on how much your neighbor's houses are, are worth, um, you know, it, it tells you how much the land is worth and how much the improvements to the land are worth. That's also necessary if you have to depreciate your house for taxes. But, yes? Well, I mean, it's primarily an agricultural society. Right. It's not like No. But, you know, maybe that would have been a good idea. You know, yeah. Uh, yes. So, uh, so, yes, it is primarily, yeah, land is, I mean, land is one of the most important ways that you can have, well, it's one of the most important capital assets you can have, but there are other things as well. So what is not given to us in the Jubilee year is a radical economic leveling. There is some leveling going on, but it is not a radical leveling. It is not uh, a, a means of ensuring absolute egalitarianism. It is not a way of completely redistributing all assets. A certain type of assets are redistributed according to an initial distribution that may have, you know, not, you may not have felt was entirely fair if you weren't the firstborn. But there is a genuine and serious effort made to avoid things like, as we talked about, multi-generational poverty, to avoid things like uh, exploitation of those who are in need, to recognize the fact that there are going to be poor people, and we're going to get to this again later on in Deuteronomy. There are going to be people who fall in hard times. Whether it's their fault or not, it's going to happen. What does God say we need to do when people fall in hard times? You help them out. You especially help out your fellow Israelite, and, and I'm, I'm reminded, and I'm close, I'll close with this, that, and this is actually is the verse that's on our, our uh, missions board outside, that uh, God says in, in, Paul says in Galatians, and of course if we have a proper doctrine of inspiration, we believe God said it as well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, As we have opportunity, therefore let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And, and this is dealt with in, in uh, First Timothy as well, the idea being that, that your, your primary area of responsibility is to those who are closest to you, your, to your family, to those in your immediate community, those in your church. And this is something that is going on here in Leviticus 25 as well. The idea is you're, you know, your nearest kinsman is supposed to try to redeem you. you, you it, 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 it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a bad sign if they can't. I mean, that means you've really managed to alienate your entire family. If nobody's coming along, to, but you may well have. And frankly, you may feel so alienated from your family, you're going to sell yourself to Juan before you're going to work for Dave, right? But either way, uh, I, I will say uh, that not only is this something that is realistic, that is workable, this is something that goes on all the time. And I have probably a, a unique vantage point from which to see it because I often find out about things that are being you know, handled discreetly 
But this goes on all the time here in our community where people are in need, whether they are in need of, of money, whether they're in need of child care, whether they're in need of food, whether they are uh, in need of a job, all over the place, people help each other out. This is something that actually happens. And I, we have the benefit of eight years now as a community of seeing this really, really go on. This really does happen. This really does work. And I believe that there is a resonance between what we have back in Leviticus 25 and what we see here today. So there are many things, I think, that are wonderful about our community, and this is something that is particularly gladdening to my heart and that I want to encourage us in, encourage us to keep doing. Will you pray with me? Lord, there are passages of your scripture that uh, appeal specifically to certain types of people. And sometimes those certain types of people are not us. And so we pray that as we encounter things that are difficult or complicated, that you would give us the grace to receive with gladness and with gratitude and with humility the word you've given us as you have given it to us, not as we might like it to be. And so I pray that as we encounter things that we find challenging, give us patience, give us humility, give us wisdom as we seek to interact with the word you've given us. Pray that as we hear what you have to say to us, in Leviticus 25 of all places, even as people who are not operating with a jubilee year, pray that we would hear what you have to say to us about how this passage is to be applied and how it's not to be applied. And pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us the grace to follow and obey as you call us to. Remind us, Lord, that we are part of your community. We are given resources by you for your purposes. Give us the grace to hold them lightly as stewards of yours. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.